Christ is the wine. The great commandment is the wineskin. We must have the new wineskin to receive the new wine. Luke teaches us this. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, How do I inherit eternal life? To which Jesus replied, Keep the commandments. To which the young ruler proceeded to tell Jesus he already had. Jesus said, There is one thing you still lack. Jesus proceeds to tell him to go and sell all his possessions and wealth. To which the young man went away and left Jesus with nothing that he came for. He was a very dejected, disillusioned, disappointed young man. If we think Jesus is primarily addressing the man's wealth and possessions here, we are missing the message and the truth which makes us free. We have to look back at the question the young man asked and the answer Jesus gave. The man's wealth is symptomatic of a much greater root or cause issue that Jesus is wanting to deal with in the ruler's life. This root issue is the same issue for all of mankind, and yet many never address the issue. The real issue is the loss of our life. What does it mean to lose our life for his sake? Many don't lose their life, but only give their life, and only give their life for their own sake. We don't lose our life for his sake, as the scriptures teach us. We think Jesus is addressing his wealth, and because of this, we miss the reality that is here, because we don't think it relates to us, because we don't perceive or believe we are abundantly financially wealthy. We say, I don't have this man's wealth. So we miss the tap root or the cause issue Jesus is addressing that is keeping him from eternal life. The man's wealth ultimately has nothing to do with the root or cause issue. The root issue is much, much deeper than this. Whether one has wealth or doesn't have wealth, both still have the same internal root called self that needs to be ripped out and re-rooted into love. Let's now look again at the question the young man asked and the answer Jesus gave him. Matthew 19, 16. Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Matthew 19, 17, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. John 12, verse 50 is a powerful verse. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. I know that his commandment is eternal life. This is a powerful, powerful scripture. You see, you can't resurrect a living person. We must have died of our own will and been resurrected to a brand new life, God's will living in us. This is all one big setup by Jesus to make this man come to the revelation of the fact that it is impossible for him to actually keep the commandments until he has lost his life. Many don't lose their life, as I have said, for his sake. They give their lives for their sake because of what self wants, not because self has come to the end of itself. Self then starts doing works for itself and wondering why it's not in the life. Matthew 10 verses 39. It's not about doing something to get this eternal life in him. It's about losing everything, not giving, but losing, lost to found. Jesus gives him a list of the commandments he is to have kept which he says, yes, I have kept these things. But Jesus says there is one thing missing. 
the most important and a vital one that enables and empowers all the other ones is missing. Jesus says you shall not commit murder or commit adultery, steal, be a false witness, honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I have done all of this, the rich man says. So the question is, what is this one thing he hasn't done? The losing of his life. The one that is missing is the one that we cannot keep, which means we can't keep any of these commandments the way God intends. Only when we are able to keep the commandments the way God intends are we able to not only live out the commandments, but also receive the eternal life internally, which is the in Christ life. To have this abundant life within us, we must have a new wineskin. The new wineskin is not new to God. In fact, it always has been the wineskin. We just don't know it ourselves. The new wineskin is the great commandment, the greatest commandment God has instructed us to keep. So let's look at this commandment which God the Father has given us as God's people to keep and to live out. Firstly, this commandment was given by God to Moses in the form of two tablets of stone. And Moses spoke these ten commandments to the Israelites, instructing them to keep them and live them out. Secondly, we see Christ declare these new commandments under a new covenant given to him when he was on the earth. Christ, like Moses, instructing the people to keep them and live them out. The first commandments were, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. We then see in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 the instruction to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. This is all under the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. The second commandments were, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I want us to look at a number of questions which will define everything about this life in Christ and the need for this new wineskin, the great commandment. Remember, it's not about doing anything to receive this life in you, but it's about losing everything, losing self, you, the old man, the old nature, who you were, your old mindsets and beliefs, self and everything self is, not giving self, but losing self to finding the new. Before we can keep these divine eternal commandments, which we have been commanded to keep, we must have lost self, our will, through receiving the power of God in us. Our will must have been broken into pieces from hearing his eternal word, the gospel, or through its own destruction of trying to find life in what it does and self-will comes to an end of its own demise and falls upon the great and powerful cornerstone, the Christ. Here are the questions of the divine eternal order. Question one, where is the greatest commandment to be received? Question two, how does it get to be on our hearts? Question three, what happens when it gets engraved on our hearts? Question four, why is it so essential this greatest commandment is engraved on our hearts? And question five, who prevents this entire process of the in him life occurring so we never experience the complete life in Christ? 
Question 1. Where is the greatest commandment to be received? Deuteronomy 6.6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Verse 6 and 9 also state other places, our hand, our forehead, doorposts and gates. Deuteronomy 11.18 also includes our soul. The greatest commandment is to literally be engraved on every aspect of us as a people and on our homes and property. We are and what we own and possess is to be consumed, engulfed and forged by the greatest commandment God has given the church. What amazes me is in which the order of this commandment is given. God always gives us his divine order to everything he is and does. Why is the heart the first place we are to have this commandment engraved and not the mind? Because it is the place of understanding through revelation. In the natural or temporal world, the mind is the place of understanding. But in the spiritual, the eternal, the heart is the place of understanding first. This is why the scriptures teach us to guard our hearts and to not let false lies get in. Our hearts are the epicenter of life, the control system. The scriptures say our hearts are the wellspring of life. Hence John 4 speaks of wellsprings. And Paul talks about the eyes of our hearts being open. The heart is to inform and educate all the other areas which the commandment is to be in and upon. God engraves the greatest commandment on our hearts first and then on our hands, our head or soul, doorposts and gates. Let's look at the other areas and see what we can learn. Hands. The hands man builds with. When the heart informs the hands, man is no longer attempting to build anything in the name of God that are of himself. Man's hands are now being empowered and led by the heart, the spirit. And hands led by the heart bring the life of God in us and through us. Hands informed by the heart are very different from hands informed by the head. They can be of the same people group, but not of the same kind. Only one produces the life that Jesus promises us. Forehead. The word soul is not mentioned in chapter 6, but in chapter 11 it is. We know the soul is broken up into three parts, being the mind, will, and emotion. When the commandment is engraved on our soul, it is engraved on our will, which defines our mind and our emotions. The forehead represents and is symbolic of our mind. As the heart starts to inform our will, mind, and emotions, the soul and, and our forehead, the mind, we now can comprehend what our hearts receive and our hands have been partnering in with God. The forehead represents and is symbolic of our mind. As the heart starts to inform our will, our mind and emotions, we now can comprehend what our hearts received and our hands have been partnering in with God. We have and are continuing to have the mind of Christ, so we live out a commandment-empowered life. Doorpost. The doorposts represent our homes, physical, and yet there is a powerful typology that we are the house and the doorposts represent our hearts, which Jesus knocks on, Revelation 3.20. As we have mentioned, our hearts are to be commandment-empowered hearts, and our homes are to be commandment-empowered homes, which means all the people in that home become commandment-empowered people. What would it look like if every person in every home became commandment-empowered and led? What would the church look like, sound like, and live like 
it would be a church which is one with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Gates, a bit like the doorposts, the gates represent our property. The property is to be an empowered, led property by the commandment, just like the home. God is clearly making his point around what he is expecting from his people, his church. The gate is the first place of entry onto someone's property. Gates have a double purpose. They allow access to a property or they deny access to a property. It's the same with a door. A door is a type of gate. They allow or deny access. The heart is the same. It allows access or it denies access. The will, the mind or the soul is also the same. Every one of us starts life covered over, protecting self and void of the inner life. Only when we start to open up the gate, the door, the heart, can we come into this in him life through the great commandment. The deception that we have to be made aware of is our ability to see things happen by using his name, in which authority is found, the gifts we are given, which is all external. And we resist and deny this inner life work on the heart. We think a relationship with Christ is just about works external. And so we never receive this incredible divine eternal life through the greatest commandment because we remain covered over and our greatest commandment becomes the greatest commission. We are led astray in our minds from the simplicity and purity of our devotion to Christ. We are led astray in our minds because this is the place we attempt to understand God rather than our hearts. We attempt to understand the commandments in our minds, so we never have the commandments engraved on our hearts as our wineskin, which means we don't come into the in him life, the new wine. Because we don't come into this in him life, this new wine, we are void of this full and overflowing life in Christ in us. We may heal the sick and preach his word and prophesy, etc., but we have none of the kingdom beatitudes within us. So we don't experience the life of the kingdom of God within us, which is our bridal sanctificational process of being made ready. This is why people will hear, I do not know you, away from me. Here is the order of God's kingdom and man's kingdom. God's kingdom first is heart, second hands, third head. Man's kingdom is head first, hand second, heart third. Man's kingdom way professes to be in God's way, nodding and mentally agreeing with it, while living a completely different reality to what it says it is. It sounds the same, and one needs ears to discern the difference between what sounds like God and what truly is God. Only those who truly have the commandment engraved on their heart will hear the true state of others who profess they do when they don't. We say one thing in the mind, but remove our heart from him, giving him lip service. Isaiah 29, 13. This was Jesus and Peter. Peter is a classic example of someone who hasn't lost his life, but professes he would. Luke 22, 23, Mark 14, 31, and Matthew 26, 35. The greatest commandment, the new wineskin, must be written on our hearts primarily if we want to receive the new wine, life in Christ, which we are promised by God, and live the life he commands us to. Living it and talking about it are very different realities. We think because we talk about it, we live it. What do we live? The second question I want to unpack is how does it get to be on our hearts? 
how did the Ten Commandments get on the tablets of stone? And how does the two commandments of the new covenant get to be on our hearts? The answer to both of these questions is breathtaking and life-changing. The way the Ten Commandments get engraved on stone and the way the two commandments get engraved on the heart is exactly the same. It is all accomplished and done by the same one, God the Spirit. Let's have a look at how God engraved his eternal gospel, his eternal word onto the natural stone tablet which God gave Moses. God not only provides the stone tablets, Exodus 24:12, but he engraves his eternal word, his eternal commandments onto the stone tablets, the word of the Spirit. How does God do this? Does he use some man-made instrument? Does he grab a hammer and a chisel and start going to work, chiseling out the different letters so the Israelites have this eternal commandments which they are to keep? No. God writes these eternal commandments, the eternal gospel, the word of the Spirit on stone with his finger. Exodus 31 to 18. When he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Engraved, written by the finger of God. Wow, this is incredible. God's finger through God's power engraves his eternal gospel, his eternal commandments on the stones he provides. What does this tell you about God? He provides the stones and he engraves his eternal gospel on the stone through his divine power. It's the power of God, the Spirit, that does it all for us. Our role is to allow God to do this work by losing our lives and truly worshipping God, by the laying down of our lives in view of God's mercy. Romans 12 verse 1. How does God get the two new commandments now engraved on our hearts in the new covenant? This may surprise us, but the way he did it with the ten is the way he will do it with the two. He does not use anything of man, ink, but it is of his spirit and the spirit's power to engrave it on our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, 2-6 You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, that not we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Only when this is our process of the Spirit do we know God and are able to keep these eternal commandments. 1 John 2, 3-6 We know God because of the sanctification process of the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-15 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The connection between the 2 Corinthians 3, 2 to 18 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 15, plus also 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 4 and 7 to 8 is incredible. Corinthians is all about the glory of God being engraved on our hearts 
Thessalonians is all about the glory of God being engraved on our hearts. Sanctification of the Spirit, engraving God's Word, His eternal gospel, His eternal commandments on our hearts is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 3 and 4 and 7 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that it's your receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is to abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Verse 7, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We are to be ministers of the new covenant. We are to be ministers of glory. The glory is to be in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is incredible. The glory was on stone, but not in Moses, and his face shone. We are to have it in us and increasing from one measure to another. The presence of God, the fire of God, the power of God, the eternal life of God, Christ in us raging, burning, and yet we don't burn up. We are like the burning bush, ablaze but not burning up. This is to be every New Testament follows experience and life. All this becomes our new life in us when the greatest commandment is engraved on our hearts by the Spirit and faith in the truth, not ink. Why is it the greatest commandments that birth and establish and build this glory in us, a glory that is going from glory to glory? Because the Ten Commandments had glory on them, even though it was a glory that was fading, the glory of God, the presence of God, which the power and holiness of God dwells. The Ten Commandments had the presence of God on them, and where the presence is, the power is. The reason God's power is on the Ten Commandments is because God engraved them on two tablets of stone. The two tablets of stone had the power of God on them because of God's Ten Commandments, His Word. And so when Moses returned with the two tablets of stone, carrying them, the people saw the glory of God on his face. It wasn't the tablets themselves that had the glory, but the Word written on them. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Even though those Ten Commandments were a ministry of death because only those of the Spirit could keep them, there was still incredible power on these tablets because the presence, God, wrote these words on these two tablets. Question three, what is the impact of the commandments on stone and our hearts? Let's have a look at some other powerful examples from the old where these two tablets of stone's power, glory, had a powerful impact. The two tablets of stone were put in the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence, His glory and power was in the Ark of the Covenant because of the two tablets of stone, which carried the power of God, the glory of God, because of the Word written on them. It is with this that we look at the following passages. 2 Chronicles 5 verse 10. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel, 
when they came out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, 2 and 5, Exodus 25 and 21, and 1 Kings 8 and 9. Hebrews 9, 3 to 4 says, Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tablets of the covenant. We can see from these two verses what was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark was the two tablets of stone, which the glory of God, the Holy Presence, the living oracles were on, engraved by God's Spirit. It is from this reality we look at 1 Samuel 6, 7-12 and 2 Samuel 6, 6-10. 1 Samuel 6, 7-12 Now therefore, take and prepare a new cart and two milch cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send it away that it might go. Watch if it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then it has done us this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Then the men did so and took two milch cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the likeness of their tumors. And the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Verse 19, He struck down some of the men at Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord. As we have looked at, the Ark of the Covenant had the two tablets of stone placed in them, which the glory, the presence of the Lord was on and upon. The Philistines took two milch cows, which are cows which earn very good profit for the owner. And not only that, but they were cows that had never been yoked so they are not accustomed to being yoked. They also have calves, and their calves have been taken away from them. This is the situation here, and the milch cows who haven't ever been yoked and who are both parents to calves that have been taken away from them find themselves being used to have the Ark of the Covenant put on the cart, which they will pull it in the direction of Beth Shemesh. Here's a question for us. What do we learn from this physical reality spiritually? that the presence, the glory of God is much more powerful than anything fleshly natural and it completely dominates and determines and enables what God says and wants to happen. The glory of God, His presence, which His power dwells in, completely trumps everything of the natural. The natural is this was, number one, the cows that were given were the best cows which are good. Number two, the cows have never been yoked before. Number three, the cows leave their calves. And number four, not moving to the left or to the right of the path, but staying on the straight path to Beth Shemesh, their destination. It's amazing that the two tablets were in a wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. The tablets were not touching the cows, were not inside the cows, but were indirectly connected to the cows through pulling the cart, which the Ark sat on. And yet look at the glory or power that was present to perform the work which was required. Amazing. 
when men of Beth Shemesh lifted the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, men were struck down because of the presence of God which was upon the two tablets of stone. This demonstrates the power that is upon the great commandments because God's glory is upon it, because God is spirit and God the spirit wrote with his finger power on these tablets. Another example of this is in 2 Samuel 6, 7 where Uzzah is struck down by God for his irreverence towards touching the Ark of the Covenant when it was slipping off the new cart. All he is trying to do is help, but this complete irreverence position for God and his way ultimately cost Uzzah his life. 2 Samuel 6, 6-7 But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. When we live lives of irreverence, ultimately of God and his commandments, we are dying spiritually on the inside. We live like Uzzah and completely live in a way that is completely opposite, anti-God. We hold no value to what we are to hold value for. And although we don't get struck down physically like Uzzah and die, we do in the spirit and our inner life. Our inner life is void of any spiritual substance because we hold no value for the great commandments for which the inner life is birthed and formed, which are to be engraved on our heart. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is just nice words we say, but have no experience and reality of within. Let's now look at some New Testament examples. What is possible and what happens when the great commandments are engraved on our hearts? A. We come to know God. 1 John 2 verse 3. Question. What happens when we come to know God? We are now able to keep his commandments. Question. What happens to the one who keeps his eternal word, his commandments? His love is perfected in them. Question, how do we know we are in him called abiding? The one who says he abides will walk in the same manner as Jesus walked, love. Question, how is this possible? What makes this possible? Because the Spirit has engraved his eternal divine commandments on our hearts through his divine power. Question, the one who says he knows him but doesn't keep his commandments is a what? And what is not in him? He or she is a liar, and the truth is not in them. The word, the truth, the commandments are not written engraved on their heart. This person only has a knowledge about God on their mind through human learning, man's strength. Only the one who has the spiritual word of God engraved on their heart through the power of the Spirit can live and keep and demonstrate the greatest commandments. When the great commandments are written on our hearts, God can now pour into this new wineskin all the promises of his Son, which are contained and concealed in his Son, Colossians 2, 2-4. The natural or physical promises for the Israelites, if they kept the commandments, were, number one, great and splendid cities that they didn't build. Number two, houses full of good things which they didn't fill. Number three, Honed cisterns which they didn't dig. Number four, vineyards and olive trees which they didn't plant. God says you will eat and be satisfied. 
These were all the physical realities. What are these physical promises in the Spirit for us? Number one, the overflowing fruit of the Spirit. Number two, the overflowing attitudes of being. Number three, the future promises now. And number four, fellowship, oneness with God and one another. This is the inner eternal life in Christ being built in us as the Spirit engraves all of God's commandments, which is Spirit on our hearts. The Spirit renews our minds and our bodies are the manifestation of God on the earth for everyone to see and experience. Acts 7, 60. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The people who have the word of God, which is spirit engraved on their hearts through his power, are a people who are one with the triune God and their brothers and sisters of their kind, who love as Jesus loves the bride and are releasing the manifold wisdom into the earth. Luke 7.35, this is the entire purpose of God for his body of believers, that we would demonstrate the wisdom of God. Question 4. Why is it so essential this great commandment is engraved on our hearts? Only when his eternal commandments are engraved on our hearts by the power of the Spirit are we able to keep his word and live the way we are commanded to. Outside of this reality, this becomes a ministry of death because we are unable to live out the commandments no matter how hard we try. We cannot keep these commandments even though they have this incredible glory upon them because we attempt to keep them from our flesh, self, the natural, the temporal, and yet the commandments are eternal and have been given to us by and from the eternal one. When we try to come into eternal life through trying to understand God's eternal word and keep his word through human learning, ink, the letter, we come into a form of knowledge, but it is a counterfeit version of the true knowledge, which has you thinking you know God, his word and commandments, but when one goes to live this knowing or knowledge out, one is found out for not being able to do this. This is where the death is. You are led astray in your minds, 2 Corinthians 11.3, because you think you have something you don't. When you go to live out what you think you know, you fall short and are caught short of being able to live as Christ. What you profess and say is different to what you live. This is called hypocrisy. You are not in the position of one but two as this isn't the position of fellowship with the Spirit. This is when we have this false knowledge on our minds through human learning and not on the heart through revelation. Unless His eternal word is engraved on our hearts, we don't know Him, which means we won't be able to keep His eternal commandments and walk in the manner in which He walked, love. 
This means we won't be obedient and faithful to what we are commanded to live out and demonstrate, which means although we are justified, we won't receive our reward, our inheritance, because we didn't fulfill his commandment. Only those who are able to keep his word and have God's love perfected in them will love him with a love and love others the way Jesus did. This is the bride, the co-heir, the set-apart ones for his own possession. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Also, Ephesians 6 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. John 14, 21 to 24 says this. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. If we don't live like this, we won't receive all of our reward that is in Christ for us. We forfeit our inheritance. Question five and the last question. Who prevents this entire process of not coming into this in him life? The simple answer is we do. We deny the power of God, Jesus, his truth, his word, when our flesh is confronted with this reality. Our flesh self does not want to be crucified by the spirit. So it denies, deflects, resists, justifies, hides, ignores, excuses, attacks, negotiates, hides, runs away from the truth when the eternal gospel turns up to kill the flesh, self. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. What's fascinating is that in this state, one continues to try and learn and come into life through the complete opposite operating system than Christ and Christ crucified. But one never does. Always learning but never coming into the knowledge of the truth, 2 Timothy 3 verse 7. This is where all the deception is. We genuinely think we have something we don't. This is exactly the same operating system of trying to come into life through the letter. When we try to understand in our minds through the letter, ink, human learning, we are always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. It's only the true knowledge of God that enables and empowers us to walk in the manner of Christ and keep the commandments. Only those who have lost their lives, being completely emptied of self-will, who receive a brand new source, will find themselves being able to love God and mankind the way we have been instructed to. John 12, 23-26 Only when this is our true state of being, made one with Christ, will we find ourselves being able to love like this. This is the true abiding posture and position of being in Christ. Christ in me and me in Christ, spiritual fellowship. This is the posture Jesus prayed for in John 17 for the church and being kept in his name as Jesus prayed is the way we come into this oneness with the Father and the Son. The great commandment is the wineskin which holds this inner life, Christ in us. And out of this wineskin flows the great commission the functioning work for the church.